This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 400. Keith Livingston on sharing the transformation. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Break out the party hats, blow up the balloons. It's time that we celebrate episode number 400 of the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, a program here that I've been doing for almost nine years at this point. Episode number one first came out in June of 2014. And the backstory for those of you that might be new to this program would be that you go to a training, you go to a conference, and the workshops, the classes are all great. And yet sometimes it's those turning points that you have, specifically because of a conversation that maybe you have over lunch in the hallways or the late night time as we're all hanging out. And as I kind of announced that episode number 400 was coming up, there was one person's name who came to mind. And I actually went online and said, hey, for anybody who has contact with Keith Livingston, let him know that I already planned that he's going to be episode number 400 on this podcast. And many people responded. Keith, of course, responded as well. And for those of you that are familiar with his work, you're going to hear a fascinating conversation, which we've actually broken up into two parts. This week is session number 400. Keith Livingston on sharing the transformation. And then part two of this conversation, there was a natural break in the middle of this chat, will be next week, session number 400, Keith Livingston on activating change. And these ideas of sharing the transformation and activating change, for those of you that have been around this industry long enough, or even other modalities of change, I always tend to say that if we really look at it, there's two models of creating change. Model number one is repetition. Just keep doing it till it sticks. Model number two is intensity, where something significant happened. And because of that significant event, you cannot go back to the old way of living. And very often, it may be some mixture, some combination of the two. And you're going to hear this in this conversation here with Keith that basically there's two moments, and somehow by way of artistic ability, the two moments are segregated into the two parts of the episode here. There's two moments that weren't even the full focus of what Keith was teaching, that I can sit here right now and openly tell you, I would not be where I am right now if I had not heard these two things from Keith. One was sort of a side note inside of a client change process, a session that he was sort of recapping as a teaching metaphor. The other one may have just been some sort of side remark in sort of side of a social media conversation, yet it really helped to clarify a lot of the pathway that I was going. And I'm going to leave these two moments to be rather cryptic for right now so you can hear them inside of this conversation. As you listen to the two parts of this chat, let me kind of give you a play-by-play of some of the themes that we're going to be talking about here. How do we step into a more symbiotic relationship with the client so we can really measure when the change is actually activated? What do we do when we've got our focus on a pathway that we've clearly proven to work, and yet perhaps there's skeptics, there's naysayers that are out there? What is the balance between where the client is right now 
And how much do we make use of events from the past and how much does that actually play into the change process? What is the fastest pathway to get up and running as a full-time practitioner? And what are the various options that we have? And this is where I got further updates on Keith's personal story. How is it that we can completely uproot our lives, change everything, and still continue to serve our clients and our audiences? You are in for a really fascinating conversation here with a real worker inside of the industry. And of course, you can head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to see exactly how to get in contact with Keith, how to check out his various websites and further details on this specific episode, which by the way, fingers crossed as I'm recording this intro two weeks before the episode releases, we've been holding on to a version 3.0 of the worksmarthypnosis.com website. We've been prepping it for several months now, and assuming that uh, the gods of the internet uh, are kind to us, version 3.0 of the Work Smart Hypnosis website should have been released by the time this episode comes out. If it's there, fantastic. If it's not there, just pretend it's looking better and any day now it's gonna be updated. What we've done is gone through and made the site even faster, made a lot of the sections even more user-friendly, added in even more content, and made it even easier to find exactly what you're looking for. Which if you are looking for further information on how to grow in this hypnotic profession, how to become even more effective in your skills, you can also head over to Work Smart Hypnosis Live That is the all-access pass to our hypnosis training, which actually happens live and online. You don't have to book flights, don't have to bother with hotel rooms, and you can attend it from anywhere in the world. This gives you access to our Hypnotic Workers program, and it's a step-by-step journey helping you to become confident, creative, and flexible as a professional hypnotist. Check that out at WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com. And here we go. This is session number 400, Keith Livingston on sharing the transformation. I think I was 13 years old and I read Leslie M. LeCron's Self-Hypnosis. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was a mind blower for me. And uh, I remember just being so fascinated, as we all are, almost all of us that get into this field, we're so fascinated by the power of the mind. And But I just kind of, you know, I tried a little bit of it, but really didn't get anywhere. And I let it, let it alone for a few years. And then um, in a used bookstore in the mid-80s, I stumbled onto a Tony Robbins book. I believe it was the mid-80s. And uh, I read in the intro in those days, if I remember correctly... There was a, uh, uh, he said, I'd like to thank Richard Bandler, who's the, you know, the creator of this technology. And so I said, well, who's that? Who's Bandler and Grinder? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start studying them. But I mean, I was doing all kinds of things. I did all kinds of jobs. I taught guitar. I washed windows. And just at uh, one particular point, and I think it was about 1990, I decided, well, I'm going to study this. I'm making a little money now. I went and took an NLP practitioner course and then eventually a master practitioner course and some hypnotherapy courses and then started teaching and so on. I taught audio engineering for a while. That was one of my jobs. So my path has been sort of winding. What I appreciate of that is that you know we come from this background where not many of us kind of wake up in the morning and go, you know what? This is what I want to do when I grow up. And it's something that we're just introduced to. Um, I have a background in production theater, more so the you know backstage management side, briefly the sound part of it. And I was kind of curious to ask then from your background, what was it 
Is there a carryover that you found from the sound and from the music side of things that became eventually a, let's say, not just a skill set, but a strength on the hypnosis side? Not perhaps just for the ability to go, you can do your own recording, you can do your own editing, yet something about the specificity of sound, did that become part of the story? Well, I don't know that it did. I mean, I was a musician before I was an audio engineer, and I'm still a musician. And the the parallels I see between music and hypnosis are many, right? It's a it's it's a completely a game. In any complex motor skill is a hypnotic phenomenon. You have to go into certain trance states in order to learn well and to study well. And when you're performing at the top of your game, you're in some sort of flow hypnosis state. It's an uptime state, but it's definitely a hypnotic state. I would say sort of the the other way around Hypnosis gave me insight into what was happening as I was playing music and studying music. How so? Because, you know, when you're not trained in this stuff, often you're not really aware of what goes on in your head. I find most people walk around and they're not really introspective in terms of how their mind is working. And once you understand something about it, then you apply to everything. So I know, you know, what I want to do with my eyes, for instance, I want to defocus my eyes when I'm doing certain kinds of practice, because that's going to put me into a state that's going to make me absorb stuff much better. So I sort of look at it the other way around. Hypnosis and NLP, it's like the operating system. I mean, it's in some ways, it's like a black box. We don't know what goes on in there, but we can tell what comes out by what we put in. And so we have some idea of the mechanisms in there. And once you open your mind up to that and start to understand how it works, you apply it to everything. I mean, it's relationships, it's practicing your musical instruments, it's deciding what habits you want to have and what habits you don't want to have. So I don't think there's any area in my life where I'm not applying hypnosis or NLP. I've got to agree with that, that, you know, the bigger takeaway for me was that it just brought this greater specificity to nearly every part of life, this ability to kind of, as we would say, unpack the experience and go, well, how do I replicate this? How do I create this intentionally rather than just kind of fingers crossed and hope it occurs? That uh, I'm trying to remember, it might have been a paraphrase of a Bandler quote, but something along the lines of the people who learn this stuff kind of walk around as if they've figured out the entire world. And I heard it first <laughs> quoted as almost more of a derogatory thing. I'm like, well, they have though. You know, here's the ability. There's an interview that I saw on uh, some talk show with an actor, and here he was without any formal hypnosis or even NLP training, talking about how he became so skilled at learning long blocks of language, you know, memorizing a script in a rapid amount of time. And I'm hearing this and going, it's almost identical to what you just said about performance, about practice, about the learning states. Well, yeah. I mean, we experience the world through our mind. And so it's this filtering system for everything that comes in. And it's a filtering system for everything that we put out. And uh, it just amazes me really how little I knew before I studied NLP and hypnosis. Not that I know. I mean, we there's so much we don't know. But I was so naive and so ignorant beforehand. I often wonder how how did I get along? How did I survive, you know, without knowing how this stuff works? So I hinted to you in advance that I saw that episode number 400 of this podcast series was coming out very soon and I called my shot publicly because I'd said enough privately to go. I need to get Keith Livingston on this program. He's someone who 
we this is our first time I think we're actually having a conversation if I mm -hmm. remember right that mm -hmm. we've you know interacted in different communities online before so I will resist every temptation to turn this into a um, Keith Livingston greatest hits uh, but there's some specific things that I'd love to chat with you about that we're going to come around to uh, one would be and I might remember the story I realize with more um, <laughs> flair to it than might have been. But there's the story of yours that was actually a huge turning point of mine, which was you were working with someone who it might have been something around relationships, it might have been something around intimacy. And the story that I remember was that you kind of recognized that in the process, it felt as if you were more running the process and presenting this client a process. And if I remember the end of the story, we have the same quirky sense of humor, it turns out which was that, oh, and I realized when I just sat next to him and watched the dirty movie with him, it became so much more effective and he got the result. Is this striking a bell? Is this recalling something? I think I know what you're talking about. And it was a client who, yeah, he had uh, intimacy issues that involved uh, the word premature, let's just say. Yes. And uh, he was watching a movie. I, I told him to watch a movie of it happening like he wanted it to happen. And, uh, you know, you're doing some uh, new behavior generation where you're just saying, okay, now how do you want it to go? Because he spent all of his time worrying about it going poorly. So I said, let's get a representation in there of you doing it like you want to do it. And so he was watching the movie on my wall in my office, my projector screen there. And uh, I was kind of getting bored. And I was thinking, oh, man, I wish this guy would hurry up. And so I, I actually started to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell him to hurry up. And then I thought, well, that's completely inappropriate. You know, his whole problem is that he hurries up. So I sat and I watched the movie with him. And uh, yeah, I don't know what was in his mind, but my mind, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I'll tell you what the takeaway of that was, is that, you know, oftentimes, and I see this so often as someone is learning a specific method, a specific pattern for the first time, and it's this um, back to a random obscure previous hobby of doing close-up sleight of hand magic. I did have friends in high school. Uh, it was that this, and here I have, this exposition style type thing. And it was that missing element, I would honestly say, for a lot of even the hypnotic phenomenon, which is now a big part of the work that I do, that really became the solution that it's, you know, we're, we're sharing the experience with someone and it's not the, um, I am the almighty hypnotist and I command thine arm to not bend. It's instead this more symbiotic thing. And I keep the magic reference in here to the guys, Penn and Teller that, you know, they're not doing the music cues. They're not doing the David Copperfield poses. There are a couple of guys who know how to do some pretty cool things. And it's this non-assuming style that we're experiencing this together. And I would say that was a turning point for me, just hearing that story. And I think it was in a DVD. It might have been on a, a training about a fast phobia cure, if I remember, of experience it with the client. You know, And it, it's something that stands out in a training now when someone... And now we are going to... It's like, no, just be with the person. Talk <laughs> to them. Experience it with them. Is that... Am, am I reading the style correctly here? <laughs> yeah, it's part of it. And... First of all, let me say I'm very grateful that this seems to have had a positive impact on you. The The other aspect of that that I really focus on, and it reminds me of 
I think it was the first client I ever had. Uh, the guy came into my office and he said, I studied with Bandler in the 70s. And I've been to this guy. I've been to that guy. I've been to this guy. I was at this training. And he listed everybody, Dilts. I mean, everybody from the field of NLP. And he said, and you know, I've just, I sat in their classes and uh, they would say, visualize this and I couldn't do it. So I want you to help me visualize. And you know, I'm just, oh my goodness. This guy's worked with the biggest people in the field. And I, I just started to freak out internally, you know, and I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then I thought, well, I, I do know what to do. I can ask him one question. So, well, what is it you want? You know, always, always be thinking of the outcome, always get a clear outcome from the client. What do you want? Well, I want to be able to visualize better in my exercises. And as he did that, uh, I noticed a certain way that he gestured into the air. And I started noticing how his breathing changed and how his expression changed and certain words that he landed on and how he responded to what I said. And I realized as I thought back on this, I've thought of this many times over the years, it was that I got out of my head and into the experience. So not only was I just sitting with him and experiencing, experiencing what it was he was doing, but I was not in my head. My attention was all outward. And so the thing I think that this tells me is that, you know, you have these channels, you have your internal visual imagery, you have your internal self-talk, you have your internal feelings. The more that you're taken up on the inside, the less that you get from the outside. And so your attention needs to be outward. And once your attention is outward, you're not thinking about you. So there's no ego and lack of confidence, anxiety in a particular case like this is really ego driven. Can we talk Christopher Guest movies then is what I'm assuming here? (laughs) (laughs) Not the ones that most everyone has seen like Spinal Tap and uh, Best in Show. I'm going to go deeper with Waiting for Guffman. Mm -hmm. And it's a scene which is a movie that proves you need extremely skilled actors to play bad actors. And it's the scene where the music director is trying to you know, have the performers, which the cast is Fred Willard, it's Eugene Levy, it's Catherine O'Hara. And it's- well, we're going to reach this point where you've learned the song so well that you're just going to sing it as if you already know it because you've forgotten learning it. So let's just skip over learning it and everybody, two, three, four, and they start the music and no one starts singing. Um, that clearly, What I remember another- from that movie was that uh, they were comparing one of the characters to Barbara Streisand and they said, well, Barbara Streisand doesn't dance. She sings, she, she acts, but you sing, act and dance. So you're better than Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, in terms of hypnosis, these are the kind of connections that people make in their minds, which are, you know, not really related to reality, which sometimes get in their way and we have to solve them in the office. And for me, yeah. I mean, if you have good training, If you have good training and it's in your bones at that point, if you let go and turn your attention to the outside, it all takes care of itself. So let's talk about that then from a training perspective, because there's this dash of being in the moment, creativity and flexibility that has to be there. Yet at the same time, there's this balance of learn the process, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's most descriptions of anything NLP is that by definition, there actually isn't an NLP technique. NLP was this modeling, which left behind a trail of replicatable techniques. And I always giggle when someone's like, oh, it's a brand new NLP pattern. Like That's what the whole thing was supposed to be from the start. Yet there is a learn the steps because there's at least 
some possible reason why this was found to be consistent in this way. As someone who teaches, like how do you how do you bridge that gap between where they need to learn something to get up and running, yet opening up that awareness, opening up that not just peripheral vision, but that periphery experience to take in everything and be open to what happens? Well, I think you said it. You said, because there was some reason that this step was here initially, right? When you understand the reasons, like when you understand what dissociation is good for, when you understand what anchoring is good for, when you understand what an embedded suggestion is good for, or what well-forming an outcome is good for, when you understand the principles behind those things, then you can mix and match. It, it doesn't, you know, I, I think of it, you know, I, I hesitate to use sports analogies, but if you're a basketball player, maybe you have a crossover, maybe you have a step back, uh, maybe you, uh, y- you know, you have four or five or six moves and you don't think, oh, I am going to do a crossover and then a step back and then this. You flow and you have to get those individual skills to the level where they flow out of you. And more important than that, I think you have to get the principles down. And so, you know, when I'm teaching, I'm saying, so why are we doing this? Why are we dissociating right now? Oh, well, the client's unresourceful. And so we need to get them out of that state so that we can get them into a better state so that we can, you know, collapse anchors or whatever. So it's a matter of two things, I think. The first most important is understanding the principles. And second is having the skills drilled into you to the point at which you don't think about it much. So getting in those reps. Getting in the reps and, you know, there's different ways to do that. I remember uh, talking about procedures because I'm not, uh, I'm not a guy that likes to follow procedures. And I think to my detriment sometimes, but I remember I was, uh, I was co-teaching a class in Sedona and uh, students were all out over the golf course and around the corner of the building doing exercises. And I walked around the corner and there was a guy looking at his workbook, the practitioner, they were, you know, working on each other. The practitioner was looking at his workbook, looking for what step he was on. And the person he was working with was like shaking, convulsing. And uh, obviously the guy was just looking at it and thinking, at which step in this workbook does he convulse? You know? <laughs> and uh, so... I, I went over to the guy and I said, hey, uh, stand up, stand up, because he was bent, over, hunched over for it. I said, stand up, stand up. And I, I got through to him a little bit. I said, stand up. I said, take a step backwards. And he took a step backwards. And then I pointed to the spot where he was. And I said, that guy isn't doing very well, is he? <laughs> and he went, oh, no, he is not. You know, now that is not in any workbook that is not in any step in any process you do it because you recognize oh the client's feeling pretty bad right now and it would be useful to get him out of that state so how do we do that let's dissociate him physically from the space because we understand what dissociation is we understand what anchoring to a space is let's make a comment that puts him meta to that uh, situation so that he can look on to himself from a dissociated viewpoint and be okay and that's you know and the the poor student, you know, this is probably his, his uh, sixth day in the training or something. <laughs> he was a little trapped in his in his uh, mind, but he, you know, he he got he got it eventually. Well, it's that 
blend between the technique as well as the process, which I've got to, I think, pull off a double dissociation here and quote someone else who was on this program before. And it was a story that he told me in passing of not even someone in the hypnosis industry seeing a corporate speaker come out. And you brought up Tony Robbins. Let's use that as the example of someone who came out, ton of energy, the music is pumping, and the audience wasn't having it. Like They were just not into it. And it was clearly possibly a good choice, but not for that audience, and may have saved the presentation by then doing the international sign of like the hand across the throat, cut the music, walking off the stage, looking back at the stage, and then looking at the crowd and going, don't you hate people who open their presentations that way? <laughs> yeah, me too. And he did the rest of the talk sitting in the audience, and the story was apparently, that is such a brilliant way to start the program. When did you come up with that? He goes, today. Yeah, on the spot. Yeah. It usually well, you works. Know. Or it, like, you know, I was telling the anecdote of <laughs> years ago seeing a stage hypnotist do a Dave Elman induction for the stage work, which can work, uh, except this person made the choice of doing the lose the numbers moment with all 20 volunteers one at a time down the line. And 18 minutes later, was almost done. And it's there's modifications that clearly can be done. And it's <laughs> teaching that method perhaps in a training and someone, quote, loses the numbers early and they go, you're supposed to say 99. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's the magic of the, oh, you're, you're already there. I, I want to rewind a bit back here though, which is that, you know, from the music background and then the, you know, teaching within the sound industry at one point, then came the training. What was that journey then of then eventually making the decision to offer out this as a service? Like, what were those startup steps that you did to start actually seeing clients? Well, I was uh, I was working as an admissions rep for a school. I was just doing it. I'd been doing it about two months, and I hated it. I'd left a job uh, at an arch architectural and engineering firm. And I went to be admissions rep at the school and I didn't like it at all. I thought it was going to be one thing and it ended up being another. And so one day I came home and I was newly married at the time. And uh, I said, hey, honey, I, uh, I don't think I'm going to last at this job. And she said, well, maybe if you work for six months, you know, we can save up some money. And I said, I, it's, I'm not going to make six months. She said, well, maybe, you know, three months. I said, I quit today. I'm a <laughs> hypnotherapist now. And there was a tremendous amount of pressure on me. And I, I was working 18 hour days trying to build a website and get clients. And I, I remember thinking about this because I was at the time, I'd been an NLP practitioner for quite a while. But I sort of let it slide. I, I went off on a tangent. I worked in Russia for a couple of years at, at a radio station. And when I came back, I went, you know, I want to get into this hypnosis stuff more. And so I was in the midst of an NLP master practitioner class and I wasn't finished with it yet. And I thought, you know, the best way to learn something is by doing it professionally and by mm -hmm. teaching it. So I set those as my goals with NLP and hypnosis. I'm going to do it professionally. And I'm going to teach it. And I thought, you know, other people have opened up practices just as an NLP practitioner. So why shouldn't I? So I started down that road. I really appreciate that. And just to share a personal insight, um, it's something that I only realized a couple of years ago that 
you know, we often can look at things that we would say, oh, this was the inspiration. This was part of the backstory. And it's often by revisiting it a few more times, you start to see the other details that were there. I, I came from a family where everybody was an entrepreneur. And it was the fact that I didn't grow up with the, it's going to be slow your first year of business. Oh, most small businesses fail. And all of the reasons that are injected into our culture as to why things are supposed to be difficult. I grew up seeing people who made decisions and held themselves accountable and took action. And then if things didn't go properly, they didn't external blame. They learned the lesson and did something about it. And I love what you just said there, because that's like in the same neighborhood as to, well, this is a thing that people have made to be successful, therefore it can be done. And it's that blend between, you know, some people talk about the internal pressure, the external pressure, but to use that external momentum that, you know, society has proven this is a role in our society and it can be done. And it just means that I need to put in the skill set to then make that happen. Well, yeah. I mean, and for me, I've always been driven by my interests very deeply. And the way the mind works is incredibly fascinating to me. And I'd never run across anything like NLP or hypnosis. I read everything I could get my hands on. I ordered cassette tapes and books and I eventually went to trainings and I just wanted to do it. I wanted to learn it more than anything else. And uh, that's why I was taking the classes and, and doing some other things as well. But it was never a this will, might make me sound bad, but it was never a, I want to help people because, and I eventually decided if I want to help people, probably where my gift is, is teaching. So I can teach a thousand people and they can go out and help a million people more than I can. I can't see a million clients. So that's eventually the direction I headed, but it wasn't an altruistic kind of, I want to help people. It was, I want to learn this stuff and I want to get good at this stuff. And if I knew that part of the story, you would have been on here much earlier than episode 400. <laughs> no, because I'd say this is another alignment here, which is that it's, I use the same words and it's a different definition. There are some who are the, again, the altruistic, it's because I want to help. And mine is the, there's this ability that I've tapped into that helps me, not that it's just about solving problems, though clearly that's a big part of this. It's that I can solve something faster than others. I can resolve something faster than others. And I'm right there with you on the training side of things. There's a moment where a couple of years ago, someone had a few drinks and started posting online as uh, they often do in the words of the wise philosopher, Taylor Swift, haters going to hate. Um, oh, but Jason's not actually seeing clients. He's just training. I'm like, well, one, look at my calendar. No, I am. <laughs> but it was the, here's the limit as to what I can do. And really what all of this represents to me is back to what I believe is one of the core tenets of all things that comes out of hypnotic language, is a big part of NLP, of more options and more strategies. And that we, we get stuck in this pattern of this is the one way to do it. The opposite of the story, and no, they don't listen to the podcast, so let's go there. Uh, <laughs> and no harm to this. I'm married into a family where everybody on my wife's side were all employees. And there's different ranges of that, but here's the family member on that side that one time said, well, that's just what you do. You get a job, you don't like it, but you deal with it because you have to do it to fulfill your obligations. I'm like, there's more options that are out there. 
You know, if you accept something as being stuck, that's what it becomes. And if you look at it as something that's got some movement to it and flexibility, then the options are then infinite. I'm a big believer in the power of the mind and of the the potential of humans. I think we have the potential to do so much more than most of us do. Mm -hmm. I'm not not a new ager. I don't believe any of it is supernatural or metaphysical. I'm a very practical, grounded person in that way. However, I think it's interesting that, you know, some people, well, I want to talk about two things. So I know a gal who does hypnosis and she works with hospice people. And she finds it so rewarding. And I wouldn't. The world needs people like her. I mean, she's an angel, to tell you the truth. And uh, me, I'm a teacher. The world needs people like me as well. Needs all those kinds of roles. And um, I forget what my second point was, but it was really good. Just imagine it. You know what? I can see it. And if you sit next to me and watch it with me, we'll both come up with something. (laughs) And... One of them will be dirty, but we'll, we'll keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> not, saying, not saying who's. Well, no, I, I think it comes around to, and this is something that, you know, the new practitioner kind of needs to realize quickly, which is that, you know, my <laughs> my version of the ethics talk sometimes is, okay, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And when in doubt, don't. And you don't have to be that person to everybody. Uh, I will say this while lovingly doing the self-pat on the back here. That you know, here's the Work Smart Hypnosis community, the free group that I run online, and we don't tend to get the "Hey, someone called me up and they're schizophrenic. Do who has a script for that?" You know, that's kind of automatically sorted itself out. And this revelation that we don't have to be the fit to everybody. I got a call from a student of mine, which was this whole situation involving this girl who's 16 and getting the referral. And the psychiatrist said yes, then suddenly changed the mind, sent a letter, and this whole back and forth. And I'm listening and going, I used to do that. I used to have the bandwidth for that amount of communication. Now I've got to look at it and go, that paperwork is the mother's task. And if they're not, you know, willingness to (laughs) change is measured a lot earlier, it turns out. And we can't be that person to every single person. I had this run-in with someone yesterday, actually which was a client who I saw six years ago. And it was the, what do you mean I can't come back? I'm like, well, one, I moved. (laughs) Two, you're telling me you don't want to do online, which when do you want to fly to Orlando? Uh, (laughs) And third, here's my filter is what I've done has evolved over the years. I'm listening to your story now, and I'm putting it through the filter of if I personally had that issue, given the network that I have in this industry, here's who I'd be calling. And if I'm Mm -hmm. telling myself that story, that means I should give you their number. And as soon as the <laughs> reality hits, like, dude, we haven't seen each other in six years. He goes, oh yeah, that's fair. Uh, as soon as that was established, and it's because over time we find those things that we can be the most passionate about. And it was this random occurrence of someone drunk posting <laughs> and criticizing going, no, wait, here's the limit as to what I can do with clients one-to-one. And as I focus my efforts on, yes, still seeing clients, because I, I would not feel congruent doing the trainings if I wasn't actually doing it. That's the whole brand of work smart, part of hypnosis. Uh, but it's the ability to look at it and go, I can build up this entire community. I can build up this entire world of it. This was me vamping to see if you remembered the second point. Well, I do remember the second point, but- There we go. <laughs> but I, what I do want to say is, yeah, 
to me, it's partly about legacy and yes. what influence I want to leave on the world. Uh, my point was going to be, you know, like this person that does hospice, uh, she's a wonderful person and she approaches life differently than I do. Some people live within a few miles of their hometown and never travel. Yeah. I couldn't not, I couldn't do that. I, th when I think about that, I think of you have the entire world, which you can probably get to, if you're really determined to get to, you can travel and see places and live so many places. What are the chances that six miles from where you were born is the best place in the world for you? I just, I don't see it. And I think applying that mindset of we can do anything to various areas of your life is, can be super useful. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for leaving your reviews online. Can I call something out? If you go over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash iTunes, that will actually direct you over to the podcast listing. And I looked the other day, we have a significant number of extremely positive reviews for this program. So the reviews that you leave helps this program to grow, as well as sharing this in your ongoing conversations, uh, as well as interacting with our phenomenal guests. Again, you can head over to the show notes at the brand new and shiny WorkSmartHypnosis.com website. You can access the details of this week's episode with Keith Livingston, session number 400, as well as next week's episode 401 to check out his websites for his training programs as well as his services and again if you're looking to grow in this profession check out worksmarthypnosislive.com here's what's interesting about this program it tends to be one that about half of the attendants are people who are brand new to hypnosis and it's like the first thing that they're doing to get trained meanwhile the other half of people Maybe a lot like most of you out there. You already have training. You've already maybe seen a few clients, and yet you're noticing that you feel a bit stuck in the process. You're not quite getting the results that you want, and you're realizing that you would become even more effective by becoming more confident, creative, and flexible in your hypnotic change work. Check that out. Learn all the details and reserve your spot now at the next live and online WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com event. Happy episode number 400, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.